Hey, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand. Today we answer questions. This is called Talk to the Pastor Day. Questions you should ask the pastor, things you wonder about. And they're going to talk about things you might want to hear. For example, how do you know your purpose in life? How did you deal with pain, pastor, you might ask me, when you were struggling? People hurt your feelings. What did you do? And how do you overcome that kind of stuff? And it's so good, you don't want to miss it. Q&A is where you find out a lot about yourself and about people. So stay there. We'll be back and pray for you at the end of this. This is really going to be good. Stay there. I want you to get yourself ready for a few questions. This is called Talk to the Pastor Sunday. And if you're, you know, if you're looking for something too formal, this is not the day. This is dress down week. This is the day we kind of kick our shoes off and we talk about stuff that's interesting. Now, there are a lot of questions that people ask me. I love doing Q&A. I mean, love it. My, matter of fact, it's one of my favorite things to do because I like the fact that you get a chance to just talk. You don't have to go through this formal sermon thing. So what I want to do is give you a list of questions. They're going to put them up on the screen for you so you can see the question. And then I'm going to give you my answer. And so I have my trusty dusty. You can't see it right there. <laughs> That's my little reminder deal. And so I'm going to read the question. OK, and then I'm going to let you uh, hear my answer to it. And these are some simple but yet profound questions. I love them. You ready? Let's get cranking. First question is, how do you know what your purpose is in life? How did you know what your purpose is in life? That's the first question. Now, I, I've been asked that a lot. And some people think you just have this moment in life where you just kind of wake up and you're like, I know, especially young people. They're trying to figure out, do I want to go to college? Do I want to be this? Do I want to uh, maybe maybe what I ought to do is um, ask God, Father, what do you want me to be? And you think God's going to just tell you. Or either somebody's going to show you, right? Somebody's going to come in your life and say, here's what you should be. Parents have to be careful they don't do that. You know, there's a great verse in the Bible that says, train up a child in the way that he would go. When he's old, he won't depart from it, right? You've heard that verse before? What people think that means is train up a child in the way that he should, train up a child to be good and he'll be good all of his life. That's not what that means. It's not about training up a child to be good. It's training up a child in the way that he would go. Find the way, it's a great verse in Proverbs, find the way that he would naturally go and you train him that way. So if he would, if he's a, if he's a musician guy, or if he's a, a, a teacher guy, or or, or or athletic girl, you find the bend of the child and train them up in the way that they would go. They would naturally go. So you don't have to necessarily force people to be what they're not. The, the goal is to find the bend, the natural growth pattern. Ricky was a musician, is. He's a music, he's an arts guy, he's artsy. My daughter is um, a youthy, administrative, a whole bunch of other stuff. But she's, she's, she has her own bend. And so the goal was to find her natural bend and let her be that. And believe it or not, that's the way you need to deal with everybody, even your staff. If you have a staff of people that you are employing, you want to train them up, raise them up, in, in the way that they would go. You want to find their bent. You don't want to break their spirit. You don't want to make them what they're not. So if a person is a manager, let them manage. Don't let them do something else. See, this can apply in a whole lot of different ways. Purpose in life is tied to a number of things. So I'm going to give you a list of things that I gave you. I have four things that I wrote down that I think help me understand how to find my purpose. And this is how I found mine. Number one, I studied my desires. Study your desires. Look at what you like. Now, now that, that's important. What do you really want? You, nobody else, just you. Study your desires. Number, then number two, I studied my success. I look at what I did well. 
I looked at what I did well. If, if it was something that went really well, for example, speaking, I, I didn't know I could speak. I did not know that I had this ability until I did it. And somebody told me, you did a good job. I was successful at it. Somehow I can communicate. It works for me. So that, that kind of helped me find my purpose. So number one, I, I, I studied my desires. Number two, I studied my success. And number three, I studied what I made money doing. Ah, now this is hard for a Christian. <laughs> Does it pay? That's the question, right? Does this pay? I studied what I did that made money. Now you might say, wait, now, let me understand this, Pastor Reagan. You're trying to tell me that you are preaching now because you make money. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> let me tell you something. The Bible is so clear. The laborer is worthy of his hire. There's nothing wrong with getting paid. Nothing wrong with being treated well. Nothing. Nothing at all. The, the, the key thing is your heart's not about money. In other words, you'll do it for free. Right? You're not tied to the money part, but you've got to pay your bills. You've got to eat and stuff. But so, so a lot of people want to sing. I'll give you an example. But nobody's going to pay you to sing. You sing okay, but nobody's going to pay you to sing. So that's not, that's a good thing. It's a good, it's a good, but that may not be your ultimate purpose because you, it, it can't, it can't help you. Now I'm not saying everything, be clear now, everything that you're, that's tied to your purpose is tied to money. I am not saying that, but it's one thing to consider because some people say my purpose is to be in business, but you don't do well in business. You do well working for somebody. You never make money. Whenever you go into business for yourself, you lose everything. That means you don't like all the elements required to make the business work. So study your desire, study your success, study what, how you, the financial side of it. And maybe this is a hobby that's a purpose tied to a hobby, but it's not a profit-making thing. Your, your profit-making thing is working as a secretary or working as a realtor. That, that's, that, in terms of your financial purpose, that's where you make your money. And being really clear about that, and I think a lot of people get confused, and I think a lot of people get frustrated because they're trying to do something that they shouldn't do. And, and this, is, this is really hard, especially for Christians, because they have this thing, in my opinion, here we go. I'll talk more about this in the coming series I'm about to start next week. Y'all don't want to miss it. When I talk about the new wine of prosperity, I don't think church and, is a good place to learn about money. I think it could be but we are nervous. So when I even talk about stuff like this and I say, if, if it's not paying you, and this is why guys will have 10 people in their church and starve their family in the name of ministry, because that's my purpose. No, no, you, it's not your financial purpose. You, you can't, you, you're not making a living. You can't, you, your family deserves better than that. That's not full-time ministry, that's full-time starving. And you have, to, you have to stop starving yourself and your family and you say, well, what else can I do? Uh, get a skill. I don't know, paint, um, cut the lawn. Uh, that's what I would do. I would never allow myself to starve my family in the name of ministry. I don't see that as being, uh, Paul didn't do it. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul, Peter and those guys were fishermen. And for the record, there's no record that they stopped working. That's an assumption we make. There's no record that they stopped working. They didn't get rid of their boats because at one point in the story, the Bible says they went back to fishing. So they must have still had their stuff. Just a thought. They had families. I'm not saying they didn't work less or they might have adjusted their work schedule. But the idea that these were guys who walked around on clouds and spiritual floats all day is wrong assumption. It's not true at all. 
And so there's nothing wrong with looking at yourself and looking at your finances and, and, and measuring that against it. Is this a hobby, something I love to do, it's fun, I enjoy part-time serving in this capacity, but in terms of making my, my daily needs met, met, I have to be a lawyer or I have to be a whatever. So I hope you can weigh that out, pray about that. We'll come back more to that in the coming weeks, okay? Number four, fourth thing I do. I studied how many people supported what I did. So I studied my desires, I studied my success, I studied, uh, I looked at the money, and then I looked at how many people supported it. You know, if nobody comes to your church, why are you still open? I mean, I'm just being lovingly, I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I think it's fine. Yeah, you know, this is a question asked with Pastor Ricky Temple. I, if nobody came, if you guys, you folks stopped coming, I just would stop going myself. I would join you. Because there's no, there's no value in having a business and nobody shows up. If nobody's buying my donuts, why am I standing? I'm right next to Krispy Kreme. Why am I open? It doesn't make sense for me. And I think for a lot of people, in, the, in their pride, they have this desire to be something. And you, it's not working. You, you, went, you tried to be an NBA player. You applied, you applied, you applied, you ran. You, did, you, don't, you didn't make the team. So now, you know, let's go be a doctor or be something else or be a business person or be whatever. But you don't have to sit in, in, in something that doesn't work. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't try and give it another try. I'm not saying don't be tenacious. I'm not saying any of that. Don't misunderstand me. The purpose isn't always easily accomplished. Let me be clear. The purpose isn't always easily accomplished. Just because one church didn't grow doesn't mean the next one won't grow. But at some point, you have to back up the train, reanalyze what you're doing, and not be afraid to do that. And so that's my answer. I hope it helps you. Number two, ready? Okay, how did you get over times when people hurt you? How did I get over times when people hurt me? You might say, Pastor, did they hurt you? Oh, man, they, they, people are brutal, brutal, right? brutal. I don't like his head. I don't like the way he looks. I don't like the way he talks. You know, he laughed too much. You know, get serious. It's Jesus you're talking about. Look serious. You chill out. You know, you need to chill out. I, but I, you know, I've learned when people do things to you or say things about you or lie on you. Ooh, ooh, big lies. Ooh, big fat ones. Big lies. You just have to just learn a couple of things. And here's what I've done. You ready? I wrote them down for you. You go, number one, I looked at who was talking to me. Who, who, who was talking to me? Um, hurt people normally hurt people. I've learned that. And I've learned that sometimes when a person's talking to me, they've got an issue that goes way past me. It's not about me. They're, they're saying things that are mean to me or about me because they have nothing else to do. They're sitting in the barber shop. What do you think about Ricky Temple? Well, I think this is what I think about it. They, well, you don't even know me. Chill out. <laughs> Take a break. But people do stuff. They say things. They say mean things about you, you know. And so I, I, I try to look at who's talking to me and where are they because sometimes they're on the maturity level, they're not that high. They're really kind of low in their own self-image. And so in order to make themselves feel better, they say mean things to you. And that's how they feel better. They really, I mean, if I'm confident in who I am, I don't need to put you down because I'm already okay. So that's the first thing. I look at who's talking to me. Ready? Number two, I made sure they did not have power over me. I believe in self-empowerment. And I plan for my own empowerment. I don't think that giving people power over me is in my best interest or theirs because I'm not going to like them and they're not going to like me because if they hurt me and they do things to me and I give them the power, this is where for some of you, I can see your wheel spinning because you're in a marriage and you're saying this dude, this girl is killing me, right? Hurting me, right? I think you, I, I, I know I've been married for 40 years and plus and I 
I, I work on that because I, I realize that even now I can hurt Diane and she can hurt me too, by the way, just for the record. But I think one of the things that helps is making sure that everybody has, their, has, has power. They have their own um, resources. They, and, and I know this can be complicated because some of you, like you're, let's say you're a housewife and, and the guy you know, is mean or brutal and overly controlling. What do you do? That's a good question, right? <laughs> Especially if you're watching this and he over there looking at you like, don't you answer that girl. What did Pastor Rick going to say? Cut that off right now. <laughs> don't you cut me off. I, I think everybody has to realize that nobody benefits when power is not shared. Nobody benefits. Nobody. I don't, I don't see there's any wisdom in, in denying your wife money, access, freedom of choice, opinion. Um, I think you have to manage how you communicate that. But on the side of the hurt person, if I can speak from that side, that's what the question is. I have to make sure as, a, as the victim of hurt that I don't let that continue because that has a profound impact on me long term. And so I have to I have to stop it. And so that means I have to take the power from that person so they can't do that to me. I have to make sure that if if my presence, if they're physically attacking me, I can't be in their in their company because it's not safe for me because I'm going to end up either defending myself and I've seen this and, and hurting the person, which puts me in jeopardy. So why don't I just stop this? And it's really important to just stop some things and say, we're not ever doing that again. That's not, that's not going to be permitted. And I, I really believe a lot of abuse goes on because you permit it. You give it permission by letting it continue to happen. And, and it's hard. I know this is hard because you're scared. You're scared about your own life. But see, notice you're not empowered. You can be empowered. And sir, if you're the guy doing it, you know, I just get mad or if you're the woman. And by the way, a lot of women are abusive. They'll, ha they'll hit you, chop you, fight you, shoot you, stab you. A lot of women in prison for bad stuff. So it's not just men. And sometimes it's children who are abusive toward their parents. Sometimes it's parents who are abusive toward their adult children. And so you have to make sure you take the power back. And say, we need to renegotiate our relationship, renegotiate the pain. And if it's a job, I need to, I need to find another pathway. I need to find another place to work. I can't work, and, but I got to be sure that it's not me being immature. Because sometimes the job hurts you because the job is stretching you to be on time. Is that painful? Yeah. The job is telling you you can't be late. Is that painful? Some of you are late all the time. The job is telling you your work area has to be neater. The job is telling you you can't talk to clients that way. That's a good thing. Some things you need in your life. You need somebody to tell you to step back, get yourself together, because if you're going to be with us, you can't do A, B, and C. That may hurt you. That's good pain. Don't, be a, don't, be, don't, don't push that away from yourself. You need somebody to tell you no. I call them stoppers. And so how do, how do you deal with when times people hurt you? Number one, look at who's talking to you. It may be somebody good. Maybe somebody you need to listen to. Secondly, um, make sure if they are dangerous to you and toxic to you that you take the power away. And you have to really look at them. Thirdly, I separate myself when it became, like I said that already, becomes dangerous. I love this. This is a simple verse. Um, I, th there's something about... Um, God, that is kind of a hard concept to, to grasp. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Think about this. Psalms 51. 
David prayed this prayer. David had become toxic. David had become rebellious. David had become difficult. David had become really hard to manage. And so here's what the Bible says. David prayed this prayer. Psalm 51, 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You know what David felt? If I do wrong, God won't stay with me. If I'm abusive, God will leave. If you look at what God did with Israel, you know, he, <laughs> on several occasions, he told him, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I mean, I, I, you know, David feared God taking his presence from him. He knew that his behavior was horrible. He knew that what he did with Bathsheba was horrible. He knew. And he, he had to come to that moment. And he realized that, you know, God, listen, I need you. I need you to do something. I need you to forgive me because I don't want your presence to leave me. If you do certain things to people, parents, children, you can end up having this experience. And David respected it. What the Lord said, he'd never leave you. The Bible said that uh, you need to read the whole Bible. That's not true. You know, the, the, the Lord told Adam and Eve, you're getting out the garden. But what you did, you can't stay. The Lord drew lines. He told Israel, he said, listen, it's over. You can't do that anymore. He drew lines. He, he, made, he made sure they understood that certain things were not allowed, not permitted at all. And if you do them, I'm going to kick you out of the nation. I mean, he drew. So there, there, there are moments when those who inflict pain have to understand what they can lose if they continue. Let me get to a third question. You ready? Here we go. Have you been afraid during this pandemic, Pastor Rick? Mm-mm-mm. Well, not, not like you mean it. I'm not like shaking in my boots. But when this many people die, and if you're watching this post-pandemic, God bless you, y'all made it through. But if you're watching it during the pandemic, then here's what I want you to notice. Um, here's what I wrote. Not afraid, just concerned that people would ignore all the long-term signs that they see. I'm... I respect certain things and I, I fight the fight of men, not the fight I want to be in. I don't allow myself to lie to myself. So I'm not afraid. I'm aware. And I, I'm, I tell you what I am concerned. Like I said, I'm concerned about the way people respond. I, 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 um, I think I've said enough. I think you got the point. Number, number five, how do you balance your desire to succeed with being humble? That's a, that's an important balance. I, I, I think if you desire to be successful, you're going to have to fight off um, pride. And when you do have success, when you do have a nice house, car, whatever, good job, good salary, notoriety of any kind, there's a tendency to be um, arrogant if you're not careful. And so the goal is to not be arrogant. The goal is to say, listen, I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to let myself be that way. I'm not going to become this selfish, arrogant person. So for me, I call it celebrity training. You have to learn how to be important. You have to learn how to have advantage. You have to learn how to not be, uh, how to toot your own horn. And so the, how do you balance desire to succeed with being humble? It's okay to have a great desire. As a matter of fact, I think I should maximize my gift. If I'm a $10,000 a year person, I should make $10,000, maybe eleven. If I'm a $100,000 person, I should make $100,000, maybe $105,000. If I'm a million-dollar person, I need to make a million dollars. Whatever my maximum is. 
And I need to do that with a humble spirit, with a servant's heart. This is it did this teaching recently on servant leadership. I need to be a servant who's good at serving and who's rewarded. The Bible said the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The soul of the diligent. If I'm if I work hard, there's so many verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of doing well and how God will reward you for it. So you can be humble and you can do well. But for what I see among believers or Christians in particular is a lack of desire. God's not worried about your desire being too much as long as you balance it. But for most people that I've dealt with, their problem is they don't want enough. They don't save enough, build enough, do enough. They're not dreaming enough. They don't read enough. I think that's the problem more than anything else. Number six, how do you balance your God-given sexual design and restrain from sexual temptation? Really? You want me to answer that in front of everybody? You know, we should be. <laughs> let, me, let me just say this to you. Do you know that this is the biggest challenge that I have, moral challenge I have dealt with in my almost 40 years of pastoring and over 45 years of ministry? It is people who are out of control when it comes to their sexual life. And some of you say, oh, time to turn channel now. Hold on. Wait a second. Get off this. The, what, what, what are you about to say? Well, I'll I, I tell you. you. Ready? I wrote it down. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Here's how I, and this is the question for me. How do I manage it? How do I manage it? That was, that was the question, right? Here we go. First of all, I think about beyond, I think beyond a few minutes of potential pleasure. I have seen, I've never seen an out of control person in this area of their life find happiness. What I do is I try to think beyond the moment. So let me ask you a couple of questions, Pastor Rick. You have sexual temptation. <laughs> You're nosy, aren't you? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, sure. You know, you, you, your thoughts come to your mind. Things come to your mind. So well, tell me about your thoughts, Pastor. What, what, what come to your mind? What, well, you see, look at you, look at you, look at you. You want to know all the details, don't you? I'm like you. If you like me, boy, you in bad shape. <laughs> Some of you would say that. Ooh, did he say he like me? We need to watch another channel. Because this dude is in bad shape. Sexual temptation is based on a lot of lies, in my opinion. A lot of assumptions. You know, when you have been, you know, married, mar sex when you're married and sex when you're single is totally different. When you're married, it's part of your lifestyle. You know, you, you have a sexual routines that you, hopefully, some of you say, no, in my marriage we don't. But hopefully, if it's healthy, you have a routine. And so you develop this view of sexual intimacy that's very different. When you're single, it's, it's hit and miss. It's, you know, here and there and, you know, this one, that one. It's, it's not always consistent. So you don't really develop a culture. Once you develop a culture, and this is what married people will tell you, don't get married for sex. They'll tell you that because they understand that once you get into the daily lifestyle of it or the weekly life or how often you folks work, out, work at that, there is this reality that sets in. It's not about me. It's about us. It's not about a moment. It's about a lifestyle there are consequences for it. Children, all kinds of things can happen. And um, so there's this, there's a reality, and there's an emotional reality to it as well. Um, uh, there's something, uh, I love that term, they should say intimacy, in, to me, you see, intimacy. And it is true. It is, it is, uh, I, I, the, the, I've, I've never seen anybody who got lost in this and, cross moral lines by having sex 
outside of marriage, with everybody, adultery, all the things the Bible talks about. Those things, I've never seen it be wonderful for them. I've always seen it end up being more painful than a blessing. So that's what helps me. I look at, I look at the reality. I try to look at the end of a decision, not just the moment. And so if I'm, if I, first of all, I arrest the lie. I, you know, this is not about, first of all, to see a person only in that context and only want them for that reason is a very shallow definition of a person. They may be cute. He may be cute. It may look great. And it may be a wonderful moment. Let me be clear. It may be a wonderful moment, but it's a bad long-term decision. It's a bad long-term decision. And it doesn't bring what it promises. It lies to you. So I just believe in, in what, the, what God designed. You know, when God designed sexual intimacy, he made it between Adam and Eve. They were committed. They were, they were in a relationship. They weren't going to be um, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, it, it's just not the way it was designed. And so a lot of times people say, well, I'm in that now, so what do I do? Well, decide what you believe. I personally, in, in terms of my, my personal life, I've made certain moral decisions, and those decisions are tied to what I believe. Now, some of you may disagree with me, and it's okay, but you ask me, it's Q&A, Pastor Rick today, and I think that one of the things I've learned is that God's word is very clear. There are certain things that I don't need to do, and I don't need to get lost in. And so I hope you get something out of that and say, well, I don't know what to do because I'm just overwhelmed by it. Well, that's, that's another problem, being overwhelmed and controlled by something that God never intended for you to get lost in. I believe that sexual intimacy is fine, but I don't think that you should get lost in sugar, candy, money, exercise, nothing. You should be balanced. And, and if all I can do is look at you and want you for that purpose, and I don't have any other, I don't value anything else about you, or I let people look at me for just that purpose, and I have no value. And, and I, I've just not, that, that is not how we were designed to live at all. Last question. You ready? Number seven. What are the biggest mistakes? What are the biggest mistakes you have made and how do you overcome them? How did you overcome them? Hmm. I thought a lot about this. And um, I, I, I came up with a surprising answer. I, I did. Um, one was this. I, I wrote it down. Let me, look, let me read it for you. Here you go. I failed to study enough history to see the different historical connections. I failed to study history. My biggest mistake was not knowing how things were connected. I, I, um, I have, I've been studying racism lately. And I've been studying about slavery and I've been studying about cultures. And don't get nervous, please. I'm not going where you think I'm going. But I did not understand the connection between what happened when our country was founded and where we are today. Not like I do now. I, 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 I understood, I didn't understand the connection. And I think that's what happens in families and in life in general. You see a family result, right? And you'll see the family is angry, people are mad, and you don't know why they're like that. Well, that's because no one ever really, um, no one ever really explained. No one ever really explained anything. Uh, and, but if you go back, oh, Uncle John, Uncle Smith did this, and then that happened. That's when the family started. You, you look at history, you can make the connections. And so a lot of things I assumed were wrong because I didn't understand the historical connections. 
And then secondly, that's the first mistake. The first mistake was not knowing history. I need to know context. Because a lot of the decisions I made, if I understood context, I would have made different decisions. I would have known who I was talking to. I would have known the history of that person that was talking to me and that that person is not somebody I should be listening to. But because I didn't know history, somebody else knew. Somebody else saw them and said, ooh, you shouldn't listen to them because here's what they'll do eventually, you know. And I didn't know that. So historical context. And that, that's a surprise thought, but that's, that's what I believe. Number two, I, um, I think I, I thought more about other people than I did about me. I, I was such a big giver. My normal answer when people asked me this question was, I gave so much away and I didn't save enough for me. Now, I'm blessed. God's good to me and I've, I'm going to recover from my madness. <laughs> but I, I think the problem for a lot of people is you're so focused on your kids. You're so focused on your job and your career that you don't think about yourself at all. You are way down on the bottom on the totem pole. That's why you get confused when your kids leave because you, now you got your life back and you don't know what to do with it. Oh, oh, what am I going to do now? I got, I got time. So you call your kids. What y'all doing? We're living. And you say, well, well come see me. And then they, <laughs> so you don't know what to do with your own life. And so I think I found myself, even as a pastor, being so focused on people that I didn't have enough time to think about me. And, I'm, and I think there's something unhealthy about that. And, and that was a, that, those are two big mistakes, not having historical context and not thinking about me. I, I mean, I, I want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not sorry I helped and cared and gave so much. I'm simply saying I could have done a little better job of caring for me. Even when it, look at your physical body, you know, look at your body. You know, you're so busy running, you don't have time to exercise and you don't eat right. What is that? That's self-abuse. And I've been guilty. I've been guilty at times. I'm doing pretty good today, but I'm telling you, historically, there are times I've missed the mark. I've got a bonus question for you. Number eight. You ready? This is a bonus one. When will we go back into the building for church? And why do you think, what do you think about those um, who oppose, or open rather, uh, up for in-person services? What do I think about that? Now, I'm going to answer this, and if you're getting into the pandemic season, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, then I want you to just hang with me for a minute. <laughs> Here's my answer. Because this is a question members are asking and want to know. So, again, when will you go back, will we go back into the building for church, and, and what do you think about those who open up for in-person services? Well, I think that somehow within a year, within the year, We'll figure out a way to get in-person services back. I, I think that that's something we have to do when it's safe. I, I don't think at this point it is safe. I think there are people, you might say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. Now, I know a lot of people open. I do. I know. I know. And there's a lot of energy involved. Um, and there's a lot of planning involved. And there's a lot of resources involved in making that happen. In our situation, I don't see that I can bring us back together um, and be social distanced enough to keep you safe. <clears throat> Clear my throat again. I don't think I can do that. If I, if I thought I could, I would. Several of our members have been challenged with COVID. Several. Thank God no one has died as of today. I pray that continues. Um, I think what's really amazing is when you go through something like this, I, 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 I don't, I, 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 we face the truth about our disciplines. Churches are not consistent in maintenance. That's my personal opinion. I know I work hard at it. We work hard at it. We have a staff. We do all we can. Churches with more money and resources will be able to 
rally and pull together and do all the things that they say. Church with large sanctuaries will be able to gather in social distance somewhat. But most churches are cheating from what I have observed. They are not doing six feet in front, six feet on both sides and six feet behind them. They're cheating and they're putting in more people than they should. And secondly, they're not telling the truth about how many people have COVID in their churches. They're not always revealing the truth. Uh, when it happens, it's very hush-hush, very quiet, especially in some larger congregations. I'm not saying it's for every larger congregation, but it's very, it's very easy to push it under the rug. Um, if you're exposed to somebody, you're supposed to go into quarantine for a certain number of days. A lot of that's thrown out. And then thirdly, I think churches hide behind religious promises. The Lord said, God said, the Lord said, the Bible said, they know I'm bigger than Corona. Jesus is bigger than Corona and ain't no Corona going to scare me. Hallelujah. God did not give me the spirit of fear. I understand all that. But, you know, like I said the other week, you know, you, you, you personally are not bigger than Corona. You personally are not bigger than the flu. You personally are not bigger than you personally. You're not. Jesus is. That's true. But you need to do all you can do to stay healthy. If you don't exercise, take care of yourself, anything can happen to you. And if you don't believe it, just look at the long list of Christians who are talking about, I'm catching the healing. I'm believing God for a healing. And, I mean, prayer lines are very long. Christians get sick. Paul got sick. The Bible says that he had a thorn in the flesh. People have, people have issues. We have a hard time with reality checks sometimes. It's hard for us. Our theology fights us. It makes us war against reason. So what we're going to do as a church, to answer your question, is we're going to look at this, look, look, look honestly at the facts, the science, look at, look at the timing, because here's what I don't want to do. Apologize to your family for putting you in danger. I think a lot of churches are reckless. I think some of them make decisions tied to uh, theology that's imbalanced. And I think that, and again, I want to be clear about something because I don't want to be misunderstood. There are people that I know, friends of mine, whose churches are open and they're good people and they're doing everything they can. And they're, they're, and they're honest and they're transparent. And when somebody gets COVID, they tell the truth and they keep people, they do all that they can do. Their, their staff's back in the office. They wear a mask, but some don't. Some wear no mask, some don't. Now, I love them. I care and I believe in them and I support them. But I personally don't think that is consistent with what we see in the fight we're in today. The fight we're in today, when over 400,000 people have died, is a different fight. I think Christians struggle with that balance. And so for us, we have to make sure we draw the line and say, this is the way we're going to handle this fight. We're going to follow the science because God gave us science. God gave, he told Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to subdue the earth. That's the call to science. Go figure out why the grass is green and the sky is blue. I want you to figure it out. Subdue the earth does not mean, it means to go and learn. It, it, it's the, it's what, what, what Schofield called the Christian Magna Carta, to be educated. Learn. You need, to, you need to figure out how things work. God created this. That's why it works so well. That's why medicine works, because God created methods and he showed us how it works. I don't say you worship science, but I don't think that you, you, you take a theology and go way left or go way right. What you do is you find a good balance and you stay in the middle and do what makes sense. And so for us, for us, and I believe uh, good advice for a lot of pastors is to rethink what they're doing and to, to be clear. Now, I said all that because I wanted to give you an honest answer. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, didn't want to shade anything. And I hope that you can take that in love and understand my heart. 
And I, I, again, I, I understand. We are in a very big theological fight these days. This is a different season. Um, a lot of well-meaning Christians are getting lost in a fight that is politically based in some cases, emotionally based in some cases, and our kids are watching. Matter of fact, this is Youth Sunday. So young people, you've heard me say how, where we stand. And I want you to understand that we are, we are not afraid to change, we're not afraid to learn, we're not afraid to grow. And I think at 62, I'm clear that I don't know everything, but I'm also clear that God has given me the ability to continue to evolve. And that's what we're gonna do as a church. We're gonna evolve, our services are gonna evolve. Our service times are going to evolve. Everything is going to, going to grow, and we are growing. We are, it's amazing how God has blessed us during this season. It's amazing how he's met us and provided for us. And so having said all that, I hope I helped you today with all this Q&A stuff. Gone through a lot of questions today, things that people like to ask me. I want to pray for you now, and let's believe that God will touch your life. Father, thank you for this time. I want to first pray for churches that are open. Protect them. I pray, God, that you'd help them, Lord God, to be safe. And to really, really follow all the guidelines. And not just say it, but to follow those guidelines. I pray for those of us who've taken a different route in this fight. We've asked you to protect us, guide us, help us know when the right time would be. To enter back into an in-person setting. But I praise you and thank you for your healing touch. I thank you for the patience of the members who are home today. Streaming in. They're watching on demand. I speak grace and healing to them. And I pray, Father, that they would find comfort and confidence in you and in your word. And we thank you and we praise you. I lift up those who've answered, who's heard these questions and it applied to them. And I pray for grace and healing in their life. And I thank you and I give you all the praise for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we talked about a lot today and I hope some of these questions helped you in your personal life. But one thing I've learned about times like this, you have other questions, things that you can't figure out. But here's the cool thing. God will help you get there. Let me pray for you today. Father, I pray for those who've been wondering what to do with their life, those who've been struggling with questions and series, a series of issues they've been facing. Help them find peace. If their purpose is off in their mind, they can't find their purpose. If they're, not, if they're going through some long-term pain where they've been offended, help them be healed. I pray, God, they would rise above whatever happened to them and trust you for their future. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, thanks for being with me today. If this word blessed you, link it and send it to a friend. Don't just listen to it for yourself. Send this to somebody and say, you know, this helped me. It might be a blessing to you. That's how you share the word. It's a great way to do it. See you next time right here with me, Pastor Rick On Demand. Bye-bye.